good morning, Merry Christmas. My name's Brandon. I am one of the pastors here on a uh, rainy uh, Sunday before Christmas. Thank you guys so much for showing up. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you uh, joined us as well. Listen, we're in week four of our Advent series. And so if you have your Bible, you could turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse six uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, if you want to finish um, up uh, this Advent guide that we've been doing together as a church. You haven't jumped on board yet, but you want to. Uh, there are some more guides in the lobby. You can pick up a hard copy and uh, finish strong with us this week uh, before Christmas. Uh, I know everybody's got some Christmas plans. You're excited about what's going on for Christmas. I hope your uh, shopping is done. Um, my, mine is not. Christmas uh, produces in us often this emotion or this feeling called longing. Uh, a longing just means a yearning or desire. Uh, often, sometimes longing is associated with wanting to obtain something that we seems just quite, uh, we can't quite grasp, or maybe a moment that seems unattainable. Longing comes especially at Christmas when maybe we're separated from our loved ones. We long to be together. Longing sometimes comes uh, in our lives when we think there's maybe a status that we haven't quite reached or that we're striving for, an achievement that eludes us. There's a very distinct ways that Christmas produces this longing inside of us. We see this in maybe some of the most famous Christmas movies. In a Christmas story, Ralphie longs for a Red Ryder BB gun, right? And even when it seems like he's not going to get one, he still wants it. His mom says he's going to do what? He's going he's to put his eye out, right? That's right, put his eye out. And so he's going to plan B, which is Santa, and Santa says, you'll put your eye out, right? But yet he continues to long for the Red Ryder BB gun. Kevin and Home Alone uh, longs to not have a family. Some of you, I know, as you prepare for Christmas, are fighting back this feeling, right? Like, could all of these people just disappear? That'd be great. You don't have to confess that today. That's okay. Kevin wants to be free from Fuller, who wets the bed, wants to be free from Buzz, who's constantly making fun of him. Kevin wants to be free from Uncle Frank, who calls him a little jerk. And we find out Kevin even wants to be free from his mom, who sends him to sleep on the third floor by himself. Longs for a different sort of family situation. When I was a kid, if you grew up uh, in the you know, past decade or so, you didn't have this experience because of this crazy newfangled thing called the internet. But when I was a kid, what we got was the Sears Wish Book. Anybody remember the Wish Book? 1989 Wish Book right here for you guys to see and take in and all this glory and majesty. And what you would do is you would, as a kid, flip through the wish book, looking at all of the toys, and in our house, we would circle and initial those things that we wanted. And inevitably, I would find a ton of things in the wish book that I really, really longed for, even though I had previously never even considered that thing, right? Amazon this year, I don't, did you guys notice this? Tried to return to the wish book. Do you see that? They were sending out print copies uh, so that you could go through you know, and your kids could be uh, uh, enthralled with some other kind of crazy toy. I, in Wish Book, came across an advertisement with this kid looking at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Technodrome. 
And I thought, you know what I need for Christmas? What's going to make me truly happy is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Technodrome. Maybe that wasn't you. Maybe some years later you saw uh, Jamie Spears and the Wish Book or, or online uh, or, or, or on TV advertising the e-cara karaoke set and you thought, that's what I need. Maybe for you it was a Furby or perhaps the Nerf Vortex gun captured your heart. The La La Loopsie doll was all you could talk about one Christmas, right? I have to have it. Maybe that's a little too recent. So maybe for some of you, it was the Susie Homemaker. Or in the 70s, it was the Pet Rock. Somebody made a killing off nothing with that one, right? Teddy Ruxpin was all that you ever wanted or longed for. And then if you were anything like me, sometimes when we actually get what we long for, you're like, oh, this is it? Ralphie finds out he does. He is in danger of putting his eye out with a Red Ryder BB gun. It's a real thing that could happen. Kevin finds out that he actually does miss his family and he longs to be reunited with him. I found out that the Ninja Turtle toys really just ended up in the trash or on their way to Goodwill or there's pieces of them buried all in my backyard of the house that I grew up with, right? Like nothing really satisfied those longings. But Christmas reminds us of a longing that I think is deeper than all of those things. A longing that the angels are talking about in Luke when they say that they are bringing good news of great joy. Our songs remind us of these longings. We sing together and hark the herald angels sing what? Peace on earth and mercy mild. That's what I want. Joy to the world. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, free from fears and sins, release us, let us find our rest in thee. These are our real longings and yearnings, right? For a day where there'll be peace. For a time where we will experience a fulfilling joy. For a world that will be marked with goodwill. Freedom from fear. Overcoming and finally having victory over the sins that entangle each one of us. These are what we really long for. And while Christmas every year gives us a glimpse of them, reminds us that those things are true, Christmas doesn't last either, right? Now, some of you are sad by that statement. Some of you who are hustling to get all the preparations and presents together this week are like, no, I'll be glad when this is over. Let's move on. But this longing marks every single one of us. And this is a longing that Isaiah is addressing in Isaiah 11. Isaiah is painting this future picture of the way things are supposed to be. So let's pick up in verse six. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with a young goat. 
And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah has this future vision. It's marked by two different things. The first one is complete peace in creation. This picture, verse 6 and 7, that peace is so widespread, so prevalent and so complete that even animals that are predator and prey are getting along with each other, dwelling together without fear. Wolves, he says, lying down with lambs. Shepherds next to young goats, the calf and the lion, the cow and the bear. And this, he says, these animals are going to be led around by a young child. Or in other words, no one has to be be protected from anyone else. You don't have to worry about the kid interacting with the lion No worry about the animals escaping from where they're supposed to be. That everyone and everything in all of creation is functioning in harmony with each other the way it was intended to be. Now there's two possible views on this passage. We're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but one is metaphorical. And so some people would say that the animals in this passage represents the great kingdoms of the earth. And what Isaiah is trying to say is all of these kingdoms will no longer be in conflict with each other and there'll be peace. Some people would say that this is more literal, that this peace is so overwhelming that all of creation will be affected by it in such a way that, yes, animals will no longer be in conflict with each other. I think either way, you feel comfortable interpreting the text. The big idea here is, is that this worldwide complete peace, the kind of thing that we long for, Isaiah is saying, is coming, is on its way. It's an echo of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 2, where he says, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for the many peoples, and they, the nations, will beat their swords into uh, plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. This vision is compelling. It's a world like nothing that any of us have ever experienced. It's satisfying a longing that we all have. We all know something is wrong here. What we experience is not the way things are supposed to be. Nations aren't supposed to be at war with each other. Political parties aren't supposed to see each other as adversaries. But there's something more compelling. We long for these things to be set right, and Isaiah is saying there is a day where these things will be set right. Not only that, but the second thing, it's not just the world is going to be at peace, but each one of us. 
He talks about a complete restoration of people. You see in verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den. This is an allusion to Genesis chapter 3. You remember what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The snake tempts the woman. The woman and the man both together plunge into disobedience to God. God, giving judgment, says he's going to put the snake and people at odds with each other. What Isaiah is alluding to here is there is going to be a day where sin is no longer going to be a defining mark of people. There's going to be no hostility. Everything is going to be the way it is intended to be. We're no longer going to experience the fear created by our own sin. We will be at peace both with God and even with ourselves, no longer tearing our own selves apart with our sinfulness. He's saying, hey, there's going to be this worldwide peace, yeah. And, and what's going to happen is people are going to be who God designed them to be. You are going to be who God designed you to be. Now, what could create this amazing vision of the future? Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the reason for because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So here's what's going to happen. It's not going to be a peace treaty. It's not going to be opposing political parties coming across the, reaching across the aisle. What's going to happen is not going to be a technological advancement. We're not going to move from the COVID vaccine to a goodwill vaccine where you just get shot and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, now I'm a nice and kind person. But he says what's going to happen is the knowledge of the Lord is going to be everywhere. God is going to reveal himself or make himself known in a complete and overwhelming way, and people are going to respond by receiving that revelation or that knowledge of God, and there's going to be a relational reconciliation between God and man. And it's going to be so complete, the only picture Isaiah can use from his brain is water in the sea. When's the last time you saw a sea not covered by water? That would not be a sea, right? And so he says it's going to be so prevalent, it's going to be just like looking across the ocean and saying, I see water there. You're going to look across the landscape of humanity and the earth that God created and in every single place. You're going to say, I see God here. So how do we get this knowledge of the Lord? How do we get this restoration and this peace? Let's back up to the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 11, verse 1. It says, There shall come from a shoot, there shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of knowledge and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here's what he says. 
Now remember the context. We're talking about exile. The reason the people of God are going into exile is because they have had a string of bad kings who've allowed the people to go crazy. There's no restraint in the land. And so he says, here's what's going to happen in this very moment that we think this line of David. So the stump of Jesse is referring to uh, David's father, so this Davidic line of kings, just when we think it is completely over and destroyed. The, the mental picture would be like if a forest was totally ravaged. And this great, amazing tree, this Jesse, David's line, the king, the king this promise of uh, going to rule on a forever throne, that that tree has been knocked over and burning and smoldering. And he says, what seems hopeless, well, there's going to be a shoot come out of that tree. There's going to be a little bit of hope coming out of the family of David. And this person is going to be full of the Spirit of God in every possible way imaginable. And he's going to be the one who reveals the knowledge of God the Lord. This is a common theme, in case you didn't know this, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. This repeated question, who will be the one that will set things right? And Isaiah is saying, our hope for this future vision of the world that satisfies the deepest longings inside of us, our hope is this coming Messiah or anointed one, or here, this coming king who's going to make all things right. This is then pointing forward to what we call as the first coming of Jesus. This is what the angel is talking about. When the angel tells Mary, he shall be great and be called son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is what the angel's talking about with Joseph. When the angel says to Joseph, she, that's Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So what the angel's messenger from the, uh, from the Lord means when talks to uh, the shepherds and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior is born, for unto you today is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Saying, oh, the way this future vision from Isaiah is accomplished is through this now baby born at Christmas, Jesus. So you go, okay, well, how does that help me now? How do I start to put all these pieces together? See, here's the thing. Jesus' coming at Christmas reminds us of God's faithfulness of, to his, keep his promises all the way through the Old Testament. And so when you and I look back at Isaiah and we go, oh, that's what God was doing giving hints, 
making promises, saying he's going to restore all things, that comes true or is fulfilled in Jesus, then that gives you and me hope in this day that God's going to keep the rest of his promises. That we live in this now time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. That Jesus came as a child and that Jesus is going to come again. And we go, well, if Jesus came and began this process of restoration, if Jesus came and died on the cross for people in their place, if Jesus came restoring us into a relationship with God, then we can know that the rest of the picture is also going to come true. Jesus is coming again. So here's the big idea today if you're taking notes. Advent reminds us of what God has done in history so that we can have a confident and eager hope in what God will do in history. Advent reminds us of what God has done in history so that we can have a confident and eager hope in what God will do in history. So Advent reminds us that this promise, this picture that we found in Isaiah is becoming true in this coming Messiah, Jesus. And as we look back on who Jesus is and what he's done, then we can look forward and go, and he's coming back. And he is going to set all things right. And he is going to make all things new. That Jesus came in person as a child, fully revealing, John chapter 1, who God is, putting on display the very character of God. That Jesus lived a perfect life, putting on display what it means to be human. That Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins in our place. That Jesus rose from the dead, guaranteeing that there is a life after this life. And then what Jesus accomplished affects us. It has restored us to a relationship with God. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. We do have a measure of peace and joy and goodwill with each other because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus is going to return. And so we have confidence in that. We know if God kept his promises in the past, that's a good indication God's going to keep his promises in the future. And then we eagerly expect it. We pray, just like the church, for generations and generations and generations, come, Lord Jesus. Make things finally and completely right. And so that, in these days, is what gives us hope. Friends, this is not all there is. This is not the end of the story. As difficult and as insane as the past two years have been, this is not it. But Jesus promised his disciples unto us he's coming back. And he is going to make all things new. He's going to set all injustices right. He's going to mend all brokenness. He's going to wipe away every tear. 
That's what we long for. And at Advent, Christmas, we look back and we say, this is what God has done in history, sending his son Jesus to redeem. And that helps us look forward and go, and God is going to make all things right in the future. So what, I love the way Jason Garwood says it. He says this, we hope in what is to come because we see what God has already done. Living in between the Advent pushes future hope deep into the soul because God has already proven himself faithful. Hope is only as good as a presupposed promise, and that promise comes from God of all true and better promises. So what does this mean for us? I think three things, all right? Three takeaways today. First one is this. You and I can walk in and live with a gospel hope. That we do not have to be walking around as people who have no hope. We don't have to be overwhelmed by the world around us. We don't have to be crushed by bad news. There is good news of great joy, and we know it. We've obtained it. And so we can be a hopeful people because of what Jesus has done and what we believe that Jesus will do. The problem for many of us is we try to look for our hope in the wrong places. We have a misplaced hope. Our hope isn't in the gospel message. Our hope isn't in a God who fulfills his promises. But our hope is often in very temporary things here and now. I love in The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis addresses this. He says, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was, he says, a longing. These things, beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn, he says, into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, and the news from a country we have not yet visited. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. We are surrounded, let's just say at Christmas, with amazing things. We experience nostalgia. We remember the way things used to be when we were kids. We have family traditions that we celebrate. We, we look at the lights. We love unwrapping the gifts. Those are all good things. But don't miss what he's saying. Those are all echoes of the real thing. The lights are not what you miss. The gifts are not what you desire. The meal itself is not the real thing. The real thing is all of those things echo this other country, this other land, this other place, this other song that's been drawing us. And so we have a gospel hope, not a nostalgic hope. We're not trusting in the way things used to be or upholding the traditions that we used to have. 
Those aren't necessarily bad things, but we have a much deeper hope. Second thing we have is a hopeful community. As we walk between the two advents, the two comings of Jesus, we all experience difficult times. We all get pulled into our own idolatry, our sinfulness. We all experience suffering. And what we need is each other. What we need is a hopeful community that encourages us, that walks alongside us, that reminds us of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, this good news of great joy, and reminds us that this is not the end of the story. So not... If you don't have anybody in the middle of whatever you're walking through right now reminding you of this, I just want you to hear this from me clearly today. This is not the end. This is not forever. The desperately wicked things are going to be undone. The suffering is going to be cast out of your life. This is not it. There is a, another vision of the future. And we get to walk in community with each other. But remember, this is not all there is. Jesus is coming back. Racial injustice is not going to mark us forever. Jesus is going to fix it. Political strife is not going to mark us forever. Jesus is going to fix it. The difficulty you're walking through right now is not forever. Finally, I think we have a hopeful mission. We are in the suburbs, surrounded by people who all they have is nostalgia and knockoff beauty. You guys been to, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to say the name of the business. There's a place, Bear Parkway in 41. New, fairly new, built in the past couple years. And they built it brand new, but to look old. Right? So that it could be like a cool, trendy restaurant where there's like exposed brick and beams and, you know, like, yeah. It's a fake. Right? It's this fake beauty trying to trick you into believing that this is something that it's not, a vibe. And that's just a little microcosm of who we are here. <laughs> trying to make things look good that just aren't. And we're surrounded by people, that's all they got. Just the hope that the family could get together, a longing for some lights and some gifts, desire for the good old days, just want to be comfortable. But we have something better than that. We have this hope that's rooted in this gospel message that Jesus came and is coming again. That our future is secure, that things will not always be this way. And so part of Advent is reminding us that we have friends and neighbors that need to hear, that need to know there is something more certain than your retirement fund. 
there is something that brings more joy than just renewing the lease on your car. There is something that is more permanent than your latest promotion. There is something bigger than all of those things. And so this is a reminder of our mission. We just simply have a better story. Jesus is setting all things right. And he has set us in a right relationship with God now. And he will restore all things then. Advent reminds us that God did work in history. Jesus came to help us look forward with an expectant and confident hope that God will work in history again to set all things right. Let me pray for you.